When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, and welcome into Millennial Money. Hope you guys are doing great out there as always. Thanks so much for joining us today, which I believe we just hit 100,000 subscribers. So thank you guys for that. That means the world to us. That is absolutely amazing. We got a lot to get into in today's video. We got to talk about, uh, we're going to potentially lose a fortune. We're going to talk about that, okay? We're going to probably talk about some stocks. We're going to probably talk about some cryptos, and we're probably going to get into some random subjects. If you watch these videos each week, you know we get into a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us as always. Thanks for having nice. me. Thank I you can't guys. wait to our silver plaque. It's going to be so epic. We did it. Yeah, we did it. We get verified. We get a little check mark, and then all the wait, scammers in the comment section. Huh? Who's gonna get the plaque? Who's gonna keep it? We can all we can all get a plaque. Can we just divide it? it? I'll keep it, but I'll send you a picture. We can do an NFT of the plaque. Oh, we'll we'll get the what NFT copy. Thank you. See, <laughs> I'll get the physical one for safekeeping. No, we need to get what's inside to to cut it into four pieces. Yeah, <laughs> that would. No, be you cool. you can order multiple plaques. I know that you can order multiple, so we'll have to do that. I'll, It'll I'll, be a fifty. A four for one plaque split. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. But anyways, guys, what's going on? Kevin, you're the man. You you know all about this stuff. I'll, people are telling me that my taxes are about to go up and I'm about to be screwed. <laughs> what's going on, man? It's well, it's uh, it's crazy. Last week, Biden's team, you know, unofficially dropped the bomb on us that we're gonna see capital gains taxes go up for anybody making over a million a year, which obviously led. Uh, much of Wall Street to panic that day, but uh, it and a lot of Wall Street thinks, hey, look, okay, well, maybe we have to look at alternative investments. Is this going to take money away from venture capital? Is this going to take money away from startups and and people trying to get started? So uh, a, a lot of the whole trickle down versus trickle ups arguments going on. But all we know is uh, uh, things about to get more expensive in stocks, and I think we're all about to get into real estate. <laughs> Kevin, I don't know why this was a surprise because when I heard this, I'm like, okay, fine. This was announced six months ago. It was the headline of everything around the uh, around the November 4th election. How is this anything new? Why did the stock market react the way it did? Do they think? Yeah, I think it was the realization of the uh, of how it would all compound because there's always a lot of talk on the campaign trail, which part of it was, hey, we'll increase the capital gains tax, uh, maybe just on people over 400k, maybe just on on people over a million. So these suggestions have been made, but uh, then when we heard, wait a minute. Okay, it actually looks like it's going to happen. I think then people started sitting down and doing doing the math, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're going to raise the top tier rate to what thirty nine point six plus the Obamacare tax of so the three eight plus now now we've got the capital gains being taxed as ordinary income. You know now you're paying near forty four percent plus your state income tax in California. You're paying fifty seven percent ish. I'm rounding a little bit on your taxes. I think the realization all of a sudden hit where it's like. Oh man, like, wait a minute, this is a lot of money. You know, originally we hear, okay, yeah, a little bit capital gains taxes will go up. What, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to make the capital gains tax go from 20% to 25%. 
or 30%, right? <laughs> but nobody expected, I, I feel like this, this, this complete, uh, uh, you know, hit. <laughs> so I think when it all came yeah. together, it's like, wow, yeah, no, this does suck more than we expected. Yeah. And corporate taxes. Huh? Sorry, and corporate taxes, are they going up as well? Probably. Man. Yeah, that's probably. All right. I, I think <laughs> I think corporate tax is probably going to go to 25. I just have a hunch. Um, I know they, they talked about going to 28. I feel like there's going to be a happy medium, maybe a 24, 25% number there. So, but I mean, shoot, you start adding up these taxes, like, okay, corporate taxes go up. Let's say they also raise just tax rates in general, especially on folks that make good money, right? Um, and then you talk about capital gains going up and it's like, oh my gosh. Um, it, what do you think the chance of it passing though? I don't, think it's, gonna pass. I don't think it's going to pass. I don't think I there's think any so. way they can justify long-term capital gains being taxed higher than ordinary income. Because on the one hand, ordinary income, that's guaranteed. That, that's money. You're guaranteed if you if you work you know, a certain amount of whatever, whatever. That's money in your pocket. But to take a risk in the markets and risk losing money, to take that and tax that higher than guaranteed income, to me, just doesn't make sense. The, Good point. Yeah. The other, the other side always argues, well, they say they're only taxed at, let's say, 20%. And they say, well, somebody working at the steel factory in the middle class is taxed more than 20%. And so that argument is, you know, hey, that person needs to pay more than that. They're already rich. Why should they pay less money um, than somebody, you know, that's a secretary or whatever. There was an old thing about Warren Buffett. He pays a lower tax rate than a secretary pays. And then you get into that whole argument as well. But I agree. It's it's a lot, man. And there's a lot of people with a lot of gains. And I mean, imagine, you know, you have you're sitting on a million dollars or a few million dollars in gains right now on stocks. Some of us probably are <laughs> right now, right? And all of a sudden you're thinking about shoot, if tax rate went up, man, I would I would probably sell a bunch of stocks right before the, the changes happen, just for the mere fact that I'm like, I'd try to pay a lower rate. I don't know about you guys. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think we should talk about why there's this myth about how the wealthy class, like the rich pay, don't pay their fair share in taxes. Like, why do people say that? I think Kevin's a really good way of explaining that because people talk about all the time how rich people pay a lot less in taxes. But I was doing a research topic on this in 2018. Uh, people that were the highest 1% of earners, they paid something like 20% or no, I'm sorry, like 30 or 40% of all the taxes, of all the income taxes, and the top 10%, something like in the 70% or yeah. people earning $145,000 or more. So where did this myth come about that the rich people don't pay their fair share? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's a really good uh, argument. And it's actually something I was just thinking about because we've got that recall election happening in California. And I was looking at how much, uh, who pays most of the California state income tax? And I'm like, what if what if you just had a thing in California where there was no state income tax for everybody making under $400,000? You just got rid of it. How much how much would be left? And just some of the rough math I was doing was like the, the, the top 1%, top 1% in California is paying like 30 to 40% of the taxes of the entire state. 
Uh, it, it, like they already have a very, 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 very large one. So, uh, I mean, I think you did your research there on the national level and it totally sounds a hundred percent true because that's uh, what, I, what I see here in California too. And it's incredible because, uh, it, yeah, I mean, the taxation is insane. It, it actually, it's, it's very demotivating. You know, you, you kind of, you look, it's like, wow, do I really want to go grind and make five or six videos a day when I'm giving 55 to 60% to California? What's the point? Like I'll, I just do, do one video a day, do one video a week, whatever, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, there, there is that, that factors in. So I think there is this, this taxation level where it's like, okay, well, what's fair versus what's like punitive and actually holding back America. Uh, and that's a tough debate because 99% of people aren't in that situation. 99% are like, oh, well, nice for you. You get to determine how much money you make. I don't have that luxury. Right. Well, so I, I, yeah. And what's interesting is I feel like there's definitely a lot of people that even if they're not, let's say rich or part of the 1%, they're very understanding of like the, the mentality of like, you know, just wanting to eat the rich or take all the riches money. And you know, it's never enough. I think there's a lot of people that are really on the understanding side. And then some people will go at them and they'll say, well, why aren't you on our side? You know, let's, let's tax them more. And it's messy guys. It's messy. Yeah, that, and, and that's a good argument. In taxes and crypto, Andre, how, how comfortable do you feel with that whole tax landscape? Well, it, it, it's really interesting. There's there's a little thing that I just discovered recently where collectibles, which is pretty much anything that's, you know, whatever, like Pokemon cards, coins, I know Grandma's a coin collection, uh, those get taxed in short-term capital gains like your ordinary income. So it's the, it's the same as any other investment. But long-term capital gains, which I think is capped right now at 20%, now collectibles are taxed at a flat general 28%. So it's interesting because if the government decides that NFTs or Bitcoin is a collectible because people are just holding, like however they want to classify it, then it gets capped at 28%, which is way higher than what we have now. So that long-term capital gains rate of 20, we're going to lose that. So this, the collectible thing, I'm really curious to see how they're going to treat the NFT space with that. You know what's funny? I collect uh, stocks. And real estate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, anything could be classified as a collectible, I guess. Uh, That's Graham. Yeah. Hey, so let's say you know your Ford GT. You said you paid. You you publicly disclosed how much you paid for that, right? Yeah, three three like three oh six. Okay, three oh six. So let's say this time next year, some guy comes to your house and he says, "I want to buy that from you for four hundred six thousand. You sell it. How's taxes work? Do you have to pay? a hundred thousand dollars in capital gains tax or is that money how does that work uh i think it's that's actually a good question it de depends how the accountant wants to structure that i don't know offhand exactly how that would i'm sure if i depreciate it there would be some recapture of income there but yeah I in think terms this of is uh gain, it's like business it income right because you're you're gonna put this in your business, and Correct. so you're gonna take a write off as a business uh, vehicle, uh, depreciate as a business vehicle. So it's it'd be the same thing as just getting uh, you know a larger commission or a larger YouTube check or whatever. It'd be large, what a larger. So that would be ordinary income. Doesn't seem correct on holding uh, well, a car for over a year. Yeah, I mean that, I that's an interesting question be. because some of it be, would be. Yeah, because it it's it goes like. I sold a, uh, I've sold a few cars in just the business, uh, like, uh, like a Sprinter van. I bought a Sprinter van. I was able to, uh, to write off a hundred percent of it because it was a large cargo van. And, uh, then I sold it a year later 
uh, for, I don't know, it was like $6,000 less or whatever. And I had to pay, you know, regular, my just regular taxes because it was right. business income. I got business income, you know, so let's say I, I uh, bought it for 50, sold it for, I don't know, 44. I had an expense of 50K one year. Now I had income of 46 the next year. It wasn't even looked at as, as like capital gains or investment or whatever. It was just business income, which then obviously flowed through the S corp to me. And, and then that, that just became uh, ordinary right. income. So yeah, I mean, to, can you treat a car as investment? Does that mean the company's investing it? And are there different rules when a company invests in? That's a good question. Would, I, you, I guys ever, would you guys ever consider leasing the car from your business to yourself? Would that ever make any financial sense? I've heard of people doing that. They lease from their S corp to themselves and they have more tax write-offs, but I'm not a tax expert. So I'm not no, sure. normally that would be the other way around. Your business would lease it from you. Uh, would it? Yes. No, because the vehicle itself is under your business. Your business owns the car. Yes, but then the business would be receiving income from you. It would be it would be hard to write off a personal expense if you're using something personally for the business. I guess that's the gray area. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that would how that would work. Cars are a messy one, and they're a little bit of an audit risk too. Uh, right. Like people who write off a hundred percent of a vehicle, usually a recommendation is like keep it at like 90 percent, right. so it doesn't set off those red flags, uh, because you know the IRS assumes that okay, yeah. People are using their cars, at least some portion for personal use. But yeah, it gets messy with, with leasing. I just personally uh, am opposed to leasing in general in most cases because uh, it, it hurts people's ability to qualify for real estate. And maybe I'm too stuck in the real estate. But every time people are like, oh, should I take on student debt? Should I do this? I'm like, no, 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 no. No monthly payments that are going to make you qualify for less real estate are a good payment to have. <laughs> That's the one thing I hated. I had, it was a, it was a C300 lease like three years ago. And yeah. I'll never forget it. When I went to qualify for a loan, I think I had like six months left of this lease. It was like $480 a month. I could literally just pay the whole thing off and not have a right. payment anymore. The lender wouldn't allow it. The lender was like, no, no, we have to assume that you're going to be getting another car after this is over. And you something, you got to <laughs> buy something. It's like, it's so stupid. I could buy a thousand dollar Volvo instead and then not have the payment. They, they don't yeah. consider that. It's so true. Yeah. Oh, I, gosh. I just wish hey. the government would make it super simple to pay taxes. Like why couldn't it just be something you log on? It's like, how much did you make? How much did you spend? And it's just super automatic, but no, it's so complicated. It's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, here's a question for you, uh, Kevin Graham. Is this possible? You guys know a lot about real estate, so you might know this. Let's say, you hypothetically have a business and you have a bunch of employees. Could you just go around buying properties in your town and then using them as offices and then just doing full write-offs of those properties and just keep buying properties and then doing full write-offs of those as like offices? Essentially. Why not? I, I think people do that all the time. It, it's the same thing as you buying an office space, except it's residential. I think it's genius, honestly. As long as the real estate appreciates a lot over time, and you, you probably know, make more money leasing it out to people or like renting it out to people, right? That's assuming that you'd make less money renting it out. But I'm, I imagine Kevin and Graham are going to make way more money from renting it to people rather than tax write-offs. Yeah, I mean, I if you know, guys, you'd be surprised some some of the some of the initial write-offs, uh, you know, because if you could go in as a real estate professional and buy a you know five hundred thousand dollar house, let's say. And uh, you fix it up, you put 50 into it, you cost segregate like 200K of it. If you could take like a $200,000 write off up front, 
Plus, if you were able to do this business thing you're talking about, Jeremy, because it's regularly used in your business or whatever, or it's for your employees or something like that, you write off, say, a $50,000 renovation. I mean, in theory, it makes you wonder if you could be writing off, you know, somewhere about $1,000 against your income just because you bought a house. Uh, so the income, the rental income might be, you know, I don't know, 2000 bucks a month, so 24K. Your savings just in taxes for having bought that property might be north of $100,000 savings, right? Actual money saved. It, whereas uh, that, that might take you four or five years to see in rent and then you got your mortgage too. So I, there could be some pretty sick benefits of buying real estate. And it's one of the reasons I've been thinking about just buying a big building and taking some big old fat write-offs. Because imagine if you could you could buy, a, I don't know if we talked about this, before, but imagine you could buy like a $10 million building and you know write off a third of it, like three or $4 million. And then all of a sudden your, your income goes to zero. And then all of this like capital gains tax and all this stuff. doesn't matter because you don't have income anymore <laughs> just pull a trump yeah but yeah, i mean yeah. I don't, assumes you have a ridiculously high income this like, does not apply to 99.9 percent .9 of people i'm assuming probably not yeah it does apply yeah. if you're a real estate agent though uh and let's say you're a real estate agent you're making a hundred thousand dollars or whatever and you're a real estate professional and you buy a rental property you could cost say and, and uh, probably wash a lot of your income too. So the, the key there is people would have to look up the requirements for being a real estate professional. It's like 750 hours a year. And, and uh, I, I don't know, so something like that. Uh, Graham, mm -hmm. you know more about that. I don't know the yeah. 750 year old. Yeah, I, but you were talking about doing this, Kevin, right? You were, I remember one of, of your course. videos, like if anyone is lo looking at like a $20 million building, you were, Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Why can't we all go in on that? Well, then I only get one fourth of the benefit if I share it with you all. <laughs> no, buy something more expensive. Yeah, instead, instead I'll buy 20, something four times 30. as expensive. We right. should do that. We should. Like go go uh you know throw money together and go buy a fifty million dollar deal or something. I'm game. I would want <laughs> uh, how, how much would we have to put down? Twenty percent or is that less? No, like 35% probably 35%. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a lot, but, um, just think, could you just think about like the principal pay down on some of this stuff? I mean, even let's say if you did a, let's do a, uh, let's see mortgage calculator. Let's say you had a mortgage on a building of $20 million. I just want to figure out the principal pay down on that because it's gotta be insane. <laughs> it's gonna be like, Jeremy, uh, your views this month are kind of down. Are you sure you can afford the mortgage <laughs> this month? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I, I still think like I still think we should all go forward on, the, on like a private that. jet, man. Wait, what? I, I still think we should all go twenty five percent each on a private jet and all split it and just. I use still it think it makes more sense to do like a four or five million dollar like content house. That seems cool to me. Like in like crazy <laughs> house that yeah, that'd be sick. <laughs> You Vegas kids, you and your ideas. <laughs> hey, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about things that relate to most folks, which is Tesla stock. Okay. What the <laughs> heck? Man? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I just have to say this really quick. Okay, go ahead. So $28 million building, you put uh, about, let's just say $8 million down. So 20%, say we did that between us and the rate was like 3.3% or something like that. Uh, and it was fixed for 10 years and then a balloon or whatever. The, and, and let's say the property 
was literally a break even, which drives people nuts. But I'm saying like property manager, the pool, the tenants, like all, all the repairs, everything was literally a break even just to be extreme here. The principal pay down on a monthly basis would be $32,600. So our wealth, if we have that together, divided by four, our wealth would each go up by $8,150 having a manager manage the building doing nothing. And we're not paying taxes on that wealth. And you take the big tax write off. Oh man, that just sounds so juicy to me. <laughs> How much would that cost us to do that? What, well, that was an example on a that was Wait. an example on a twenty-eight million dollar deal with eight down. Wait, are you only counting the liability, but you're just like or I'm sorry, the asset, but not the liability, not what we owe? And you're dividing no, no, that no. I mean, think? look, there's the, so the tenants are paying the bill for you in a break-even oh, gotcha, scenario. Gotcha. So, so the monthly payments like eighty-eight thousand dollars, but gotcha. but the tenants are paying all of that plus your manager plus the other stuff, right? And ideally, you have a buffer in there for vacancy and all the other crap. Obviously, usually you just take thirty-five percent off for expenses, uh, for for a, you know a normally run building. But anyway, that still leaves the owners having their net worth go up in in total $32,600 a month. And then that increases. So in, in five years from now, that'll be like $39,000 a month. It's crazy. Like the, the principal pay down on real estate. We would yeah. not be able to find enough tenants. <laughs> so, that, so that's a 4.8% return after tax. That's what it works out to be on 2 million well, bucks. Well, maybe, uh, which actually, if, if you think about it, because uh, I didn't even do that math, if, if that's what it is, uh, and that's just on principle. That's crazy because imagine this, okay? Imagine now real estate goes up, you know, five percent on on that twenty eight million dollar building. Uh, that's one point four million dollars divided by four, which is another three hundred fifty grand each a year on tax free wealth. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Where are we going to find the tenants for that? Jesus, you'd want to find a stabilized building. Like if you were going to buy big multifamily like that, you just want to go in there and and find like one or two things wrong. Like the, the pool guy sucks, but all the tenants are there. Everybody hates the pool guy. Like the reviews are bad about the pool guy or whatever. And, and you buy this building, ideally off market, and, and you clean up the pool and throw a party or whatever, and then just coast. <laughs> but is there enough of a, do you know, do you guys know enough about commercial real estate? Is that any different or are there different tax structures, different laws, different like regulations and codes? The, the big thing is you have to have an on-site manager, which managing the man the on-site manager is a pain in the butt. The mm. on-site is the hardest thing. Now, not all states have that. I don't know what the rule is in Nevada, but here in, in California, it's once you have 16 units, I think it's 16 or more. I'm not sure if it's more than 16 or 16 more. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You have to have an on-site. And so that's usually somebody who lives there rent-free, but then they start getting buddy-buddy and playing favorites and you deal with the drama. Don't get me wrong. You get a building whoever the manager is gets to deal with all the drama of that crap. You know, the neighbor's noisy. The walls are paper thin. <laughs> so whoever's watching this podcast, pro tip, buy a $28 million property. There you go. <laughs> or if you know someone selling a $28 million property or more, hit us up. <laughs> I listen, I would do that, Kevin. 100%, I would do that with you. And I also think it would be so fun we could advertise it. Hey, you want to rent, to rent our spot? There you go. <laughs> it has to be nice, though. It can't be like slumlordy. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if you're giving a subscriber discount. Like, hey, if you subscribe to the cool. notification bell, you'll get you five dollars. Yeah, pay your utilities. Yeah, it'll pay for YouTube premium or something like that. Like, yeah. hey, 20 bucks off a, a month in rent. 
Does uh does the government own their buildings? Who? The government, just in general. What what, what do you mean? Well, because <laughs> I'm thinking, like, imagine we buy like the the SEC headquarters or like the <laughs> Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> we rent it. We rent it back to them. Okay, <laughs> too far. I get where you're going. Wait a yeah. sec. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. You buy the White House, and it's like this is a fixer upper. It's a wedge deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Hey, Tesla. Did you see the headline? Uh, CNBC yesterday, Kevin. It was uh well. There was two headlines, so they, they might have got some 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 uh, flack at them. So then they were doing a headline around revenue growth and, and profit growth. But originally, I saw them running with a headline, which was Tesla takes Bitcoin speculation benefit to add to bottom line, and that was kind of the thing they were running with the the fact that you know uh, they made some money off Bitcoin and then that counted toward profitability. I don't know if you saw that or not. How did that count toward profitability if they didn't sell yet? Because they, they took a gain on some of it. They sold oh, some okay, percent. So how are the earnings like? I didn't actually tune into that. Did they beat earnings expectations? Uh, you know, the, the thing is, the, the, the it was kind of a just an overall disappointment uh, of a day. You know, I think the expectations were uh, uh, were aligned. Uh, with what happened, or well, they were, but uh, there was no, there was no like big news. Uh, the big uh, headlines, the run, uh, the media was, you know, the earnings call was kind of boring. The uh, headlines the media were running with were if you take out uh, the Bitcoin profit and the tax credits, Tesla's losing money. Their average selling price per vehicle is down thirteen percent, and mm. and uh, so when you consider those two things. Plus all the flack they've been getting in China, uh, you know, and Texas. It's just been a disaster of, of a month, really, for Tesla uh, in the press. And, and a lot of it is, is really unjustified. And we can, we can unpackage some of that. But, uh, yeah, the, the overall Tesla uh, impressions in the market the last month has been no bueno. And neither in the media, too. The media has been rough on them. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, when it comes to Tesla, it's, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's a large market cap now. I mean, we're talking over 700 billion, you know, it's got to be big inflows of money because you're always going to have some selling pressure out there. And I mean, you know, to push up the stock, it's going to take really, really good news nowadays. I mean, it's, it's not like it was when it was a 30, 40, $50 billion market cap when maybe retail investors had more influence. Now it's, it's, it's just too dang big. Uh, and, right. and you can see it in the volatility. It's not even volatile. Like, you know, earnings came out and it was like, what, 2% move, you know, after hours. That's yeah. like, you know, for Tesla back in the day, that would have been like, are you kidding Nothing. me? Like it used to move <laughs> crazy after earnings, you know, after hours. So, so is it still a bargain for people to consider getting into today or is it still kind of risky, you would say? All in. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're asking Kevin that question. I'm, not, I'm asking sensible minds, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like it's a decent value for a super long term investor. I'm not nearly as bullish oh, as Kevin for is. For a super long term? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally on the train that I think Tesla could just be in a range for a year or two and not really do much.
That's just okay. my opinion. Maybe maybe next thing you know, it's trading at two trillion or something, or one and a half trillion. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be stuck in a range for a year or two, and um, I think it's going to wait. And now we're at a stage where they've got to ramp to you know a couple million cars a year. And I think it ramps to a couple million cars a year. You get some autonomous taxis out there, things like that. I think that's the next leg of of for the stock. I think for right. now, because it seems like enough. it was priced for perfection for so long, and now we're getting to that period where it's like, can they do it? Can can they meet the expectations of this of this price? And so I guess this is kind of like I don't know the the moment uh, of truth. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, especially when a stock's gone on a crazy run like Tesla is, you know, the, as much as some folks don't want to look at profitability, the focus does start to go to profitability. And then if you want to continue that huge upward move, you got to have the profits come in. Like when Amazon went on its crazy run from, you know, a uh, hundred million, two hundred, or excuse me, a hundred billion, two hundred billion dollar market cap to, you know, over a trillion. That was not just because Amazon was growing revenue heavily, but their EPS went insane. Like anybody that's looked at the profitability of Amazon over the last, you know, five years or so, it's in a whole different stratosphere profitability wise than it was. And so that helped propel that stock further and further. And it's continued to, you know, kind of move upward. But um, yeah, when, when it comes to Tesla, there's, there's a lot priced in, man. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff priced in. in my and opinion. then what do you guys think of Neo? The, the, I saw analysts were lowering their expectations for that. I guess they're having a lot of trouble in China. So yeah, yeah, you know, I've, I've never shortage. been on that. Band. Yeah, it's, shortage. It's, okay, it's, it's the chip shortage is such a disaster for these companies, and it's a disaster for Tesla as well. Uh, it's a big issue for these companies, in my opinion. Uh, and and I get what you're saying, uh, Jeremy, because I I think you you know you're you're very accurate in, in what you're saying. Look, profits become important. Uh, I do think there's a level of uh, Wall Street being a little short sighted still with Tesla, just because. You know, all these headlines about, oh, Tesla average selling price going down or whatever. They're not even manufacturing the SNX, which you got pre-ordered, man. You got the mm -hmm. SNX pre-ordered. You start putting those into the mix. I mean, here's what's crazy, okay? Here's the crazy thing. Q1, chip shortage disaster and their most expensive cars, their high profit margin cars not being manufactured and their profit margin went up. It was like 2019, 20 profit margin was 21%. It went to 22% in Q1. Uh, that's a 1% bump uh, with, with the high margin cars not being sold. So now when these high margin cars start selling, which Elon's saying Q2, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Elon. Probably my guess is like Q3, Q4. Q3, Q4, we see those cars start flowing. Jeremy gets his plaid, makes the video on it. That leads 100 other people to buy these things. And Tesla goes to the moon after those earnings come out. That's my expectation because we're going to see that margin all of a sudden where Tesla's using the same parts in the 3, the Cybertruck, the S and X. We're going to see that margin go from 22% to 24, 25, 26, 27%. Then yeah. all of a sudden, Wall Street's going to go, oh my God, every percent in profit margin huge tendies for tesla <laughs> yeah, that's, fair. that's a fair assumption yeah I'm, I'm personally waiting for the truck i'm just like dude oh i want so the truck, truck. truck. Uh, everyone's waiting for the truck yeah. yes kevin when is that gonna happen uh, next year it's always it's perpetually next year same with yeah. the roadster next year <laughs> well, the roadster's not happening <laughs> next year it's gonna be next year my, oh, yeah, my no, um next year my Uncle and Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, I, I totally just blended Jeremy and Germany. Uh, oops. <laughs> nice. uh, my <laughs> uncle in Germany 
is like 75 years old and and he's like uh he's always been anti-tesla and he's like no you know what i've decided i'm ordering the roadster i'm like you realize you're gonna be like 80 before you get it right he's like no i already wired them the 250,000 euros or whatever it is it's coming and i'm like you just gave them a really fat interest-free loan bro yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah, the roadster, the roadster. I, I feel like that was just for branding purposes, honestly. He got the founder edition. Sorry, Jeremy. He he got the founder edition then two fifty. That's the like the the special edition one because I think two hundred is like the base price. <laughs> oh wow! So, and and I didn't convert it. Whatever the euro conversion is, you know, maybe it was like two twenty five or whatever. Oh yeah. god. Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy. What were you saying? Uh, I was saying I think the roadster honestly was just for branding purposes. I think it was just. Um, you got Tesla in the news cycle and Elon is, you know, I think there's going to be case studies done on Elon long term. Um, he is so good about keeping Tesla in the news cycle by almost any means necessary. And I feel like the Roadster was kind of just and then I don't know if you guys saw he's going to be on Saturday Night Live, this <laughs> yeah. coming week, which is obviously seen by, you know, I don't know, millions or maybe even tens of millions of people each week. Right. So. He, once again, keeping his name out there, keeping Tesla yeah. relevant. Well, that and, was my whole shtick about Dogecoin and all these cryptos that that guys like Mark Cuban and Elon are always talking about because it's like one mention from those guys and their front page news. It's like, oh, Elon tweeted about Dogecoin. And it's almost like he's using Dogecoin as a vehicle to just always be relevant and always talking about it. It's like this interesting dynamic. It's like this so interesting. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. He's just phenomenal. He always, he, he almost treats his life like a, like a major, uh, I don't want to compare him to a Kardashian, but you know, it's like all of a sudden you won't hear anything about the Kardashians or Jenners or whatever for a while. And then all of a sudden they pop up and it's like, Oh, somebody cheated on somebody or somebody right. had a baby. And it's like, you know, or whatever. And, and all of a sudden they'll come up in the news cycle and Elon's the same way. All of a sudden it, you, you don't hear from him. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's in the news cycle again around right. something. Speaking and, of the Jenners, did you hear Caitlyn Jenner running for governor? I heard that. Did not. That that's uh, like the whole, I, who actually thinks this Newsom's going to get recalled. And then, cause then, then you might have Caitlyn Jenner actually running uh, against, I think the San Diego mayor and like, some other person who's lost many times before. It's gonna be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> wow. We're gonna we're gonna have more people in social media start running in political positions. That's what I think. I can I see think it. It's going in that direction. I could see 100%. it. hundred percent. Speaking yeah, of I the mean, genders. Go ahead. Sorry. Speaking of the genders, did you guys see Dogecoin Millionaire? <laughs> did, yeah. you, did you guys see the Dogecoin Millionaire who YOLO'd all of his life savings? I watched oh, like one hundred eighty thousand dollars yes. to a million, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And wants to sell when it hits ten million. Wants to sell one oh, million dollars of it. Why though? <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Yeah. So, any, anyone who's unfamiliar with that story, this guy, thirty-three years old, put one hundred eighty thousand dollars, which was all of his life savings. He maxed out credit cards mm. to get to that point. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yoloed it in February when it was like four and a half cents, and at its peak, it was nearly $2 million. It was at $1.8 million. And he did not sell. It dipped to a low of half a million dollars. And now it's back up a little over a million. And he's still hanging on to it. And he wants to hang on to it at least until either February next year for long-term capital gains 
or until it's worth $10 million. So anyway, I made this whole video. Or when Biden that. changes the rule and it don't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? It reminds me of the story back like three years ago of the guy who sold everything. He sold his house. He sold his furniture. I remember he that. Family in the car for Bitcoin. Yes. And he was like, you know what? I don't, I don't care if it goes down. I'm going to buy more. I wonder what where that guy is now. If, if he's held, he's, he's 10x his money. If he I remember everyone within the media was calling him an idiot. He was irresponsible. Yeah. It was him and his family. It wasn't like this was just a single dude. It was him and his family. I think Bitcoin was at the time, it was at its peak, though. It was at like $17,000. It was in 2017. He was buying it up, but he was buying it up from the bottom. So he wasn't all in at yeah. 17. But it was a, a big portion, I think, of it was towards the top. And then just everything collapsed. And I hope he held on to it. But I would love to see where he's at now, too. That'd be crazy. Me too. Another good stock, by the way, that I just noticed was Google. They've oh. been doing fantastically well. They're up to $2,400 right now after hours because uh, online advertising, they've continued yep. to dominate online advertising. And I got to say, even on YouTube, just watching the ads play and just seeing some of the ad rates lately, I think people are just beginning to realize now that, that a platform like YouTube is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's possible for Google. And that's for just sure. one part of their business. So I, I was, Google is one of the few companies that I'm happy to buy into at any price. It just It's a 10 to 20 year hold for me. Yeah, I agree. I no, totally awesome. agree with that. And and no matter how many times there are articles after earnings about how great YouTube earnings are for Google, I I don't think I don't think uh, Wall Street gets it. I don't think they see that this is basically like a Netflix inside of Google. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like it's one of the fangs is inside one of the other fangs. <laughs> right. That's a good point. That's a great point. A hundred percent. Yeah. What's the market cap of Netflix? I'm look that up. Netflix is a uh, probably three hundred billion ish. Now to, oh, it sold off a little bit. Two twenty four now. That's close. Oh, uh, okay. And then Google's like uh, they got to be over a T. Yeah, one and yeah, uh, one are. and a half. So yeah. I mean, but does that even really move the needle though? Because like Google could just like absorb Netflix. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like its market cap wouldn't move that much. What? Like, no. Why would they need to? They have YouTube. They get no, no, no. Content. I'm not saying that they would. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, like, exactly. even if YouTube were valued what Netflix was, uh, it's like, does it does it move the needle? Maybe that's why Wall Street's yeah. not seeing it. I I think YouTube. I mean, I look at the stuff they pay us, and I'm just like, this. How could you not invest in Google when you see this stuff? It's crazy. I bought some options yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago on uh, on uh, that. So hopefully that'll make up for my losses on those damn earnings reports on uh, Pinterest and Enface today. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you had something in Pinterest, uh, Kevin? Pins and uh, Enphase. Yeah, I like. I have a lot more in Enphase. I'm sorry, in uh, Etsy. Etsy, I've got over a million in Etsy, but now I'm nervous about Etsy after Pins because uh, they're like, oh, our monthly user growth might stay flat next month and might start falling because <laughs> people are going back out. And uh, I I have a smaller position in Pins. I don't know, maybe maybe like a hundred. 150k so somewhere around there so it's not like it's a really big part of the portfolio uh but uh you know what what like up maybe a percent or a little under but still it's like ah nobody wants to see negative nine percent and and that's one and you know that's i think that sets some bad signals up for the rest of the uh stay at home tech companies ish yeah. you know the website well, <laughs> i think it's a case-by-case -case basis though you know um 
pins I've never been the biggest fan of, to be completely honest. I felt like um, I felt like it's kind of in that Twitter Snapchat category where it's just uh, but less relevant than those companies where it's kind of mm. like, you know, in no man's land, it's just kind of a one trick pony and it kind of does its thing and it's kind of niche. Like, you know, I don't go on Pinterest. I'm sure you guys don't go on Pinterest. And it just seems like in the advertising space, you want to be a giant or you almost want to be nothing. You either want to be Google and own Google, YouTube, or you want to be Facebook and own Facebook and Instagram. It well, what's interesting, like that. I think what's interesting about Pinterest is it's kind of almost gender oriented because not a yeah. lot of men go on Pinterest. It's all, it's all females. So it's kind of interesting. You have a company that's product mainly appeals to women. So I don't know, does that limit it in some way or, um, it's yeah, it's niche. It's niche. It, it's gro yeah. they're growing their male audience. Uh, it, one of the ways they're doing that, uh, and this is a this is a risk factor uh, for pins, is uh, they're growing it with like uh, do it yourself, right? The mm. whole do it yourself trend, uh, and you start getting into clicking on like oh, make your own shelf like this, or that you get all these ideas like do it yourself project inspiration ideas. You start clicking on those things, all of a sudden they're like, hey, check out this new miter saw, check out this new drill, check out this tool set. I mean, it's just like a kid in a candy shop what like i mean i i don't really shop so i i don't uh i, I don't go on uh because i'm also not doing any kind of stuff but other than making youtube videos but uh you know and then playing minecraft with jack lately but uh yeah that seems still like this, is, this still seems like a watered down youtube though if you think about it like this whole do it yourself like that's all youtube all recommendations it's just not as powerful and not as widely appealing it seems I think it's just mindless you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like the TikTok where where instead of maybe listening to videos, you could just, just mindlessly scroll through and get ideas without having right. to listen to anything. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got its place. I mean, look, 480 million people use the thing on a monthly basis, uh, and uh, they, they, they still grew in this last quarter. So you got to give them some credit for that. And they place lots of ads. Their conversions are really good because their algorithm – it doesn't even need to know your personal information. All it needs to know is what you last clicked on. It's very much like YouTube. You last clicked on a do-it-yourself project. Here are the drills, baby. <laughs> you know, here's the new, here's the new blower. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so it's it's, I, it's very powerful in that sense. But yeah, you see a COVID transition. I think like Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and Pinterest should all combine. I think if they all combine. They can try to fight off Google and, and Facebook. I was going to say that I just think, yeah, they'd either get acquired or they need to merge. Like something needs to happen for them to get over that threshold competing with the big fangs. Yeah, you would get a lot of cost synergies, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Google gets some great cost synergies. You know, a lot of their their process for running ads on Google is somewhat similar to YouTube and vice versa. And same thing with Facebook. Like if they roll out something on Facebook, they can roll it out on Instagram. And if they roll out something on Instagram, they can roll it back out on Facebook. Right. And, and WhatsApp. And so you get all these cost synergies. And plus you have kind of all these different teams working on the best things and then the best ideas can go to the top. So I think there's a lot of, of uh, reasons why those companies should combine, but it probably won't happen for a while. I think a lot of them were, will have to just kind of be like dead stocks where they're not really doing anything for quite a while. And right. then somebody will come along and, and buy them out. I think that's, but I'm not saying Pinterest is going to be in that category. Maybe that does phenomenal. I'm just saying in general. It's crazy, man. It's a $50 billion market cap and, uh, and they just went profitable, which is actually a big, big quarter for them. Uh, you know, minus certain adjustments. 
but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. Is it is it uh, you know uh, uh, the biggest play for me? No, not at all. <laughs> Obviously, we just talked about that. But uh, you know, it's 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 one I'll keep my eyes on. Uh, the thing falls more if we get more of an overreaction tomorrow. Uh, I, I'd be open to buying a little bit more. I think, um, like personally, I think we're in this space where we're going to get some of these tech earnings draw prices down a bit. And uh, at the same time, you've got a lot of the recovery stocks kind of priced for perfection. Whereas tech, I feel like if we start seeing it get beat down on, on bad earnings, might be an opportunity. And, and, and you're going to start seeing some of these tech and, and these consumer discretionaries start getting cheaper and more of an opportunity. So uh, like personally, if I had to pick between like Pinterest at 65 and like Delta or Carnival, even with this reopening around the corner, I'd, I'd almost rather get pins just because I feel like some of the more highly indebted companies like the travel companies, it's still going to be a bit before they get back to that previous profitability. Would you and really they're already go priced in, you know? Would you really go over for pins over uh, Coinbase below 300? Oh, no, 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 no. Right. So I have a much bigger, I have a, my position in coins is about uh, double uh, uh, pins. And uh, yeah, Coinbase is one that uh, I think is, um, you just had this, this incredible uh, selling pressure from the inside of the company. And it's just going to take time for that thing to march higher. And it's got to prove its transition to transactional revenue, uh, which will come. But I'm, I'm still optimistic on Coinbase. Yeah. What about hey. Enphase? Why did why did such a big drop? I'm looking at them now. I mean, that's pretty substantial yeah. to go back to drop as low as uh, 155. I know, which is why I bought my options at 155. Uh, when it was at well, like one, or I was, I think it was 150. It doesn't matter, 154 or something like that. And uh, it ran so well before earnings. Uh, those options were just printing tennies. All of that is literally just evaporated because of this earnings report. Which whatever, like I, uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to trade these. These are not. And I purposely, when I buy a stock, a thing that I've been doing is I'll write down: is this a short-term trade or is this a long-term? That way, I just know psychologically, like, oh crap, did my short-term trade go wrong or whatever? I don't know. That helps me. But anyway, this is a super long one for me. They meet uh, and actually beat expectations, but they gave guidance that next quarter is going to be not so great. I want to listen to the earnings call to see why their next quarter, why they think their forecast is basically going to be flat rather than growth. Their margin is still insane. They're still making a ton of freaking money. But yeah, I don't know if, if people are waiting to see to buy solar because they're waiting to see what Joe Biden's incentives are for the mm -hmm. infrastructure plan. That's Could true. Be. That's a great point because I know for myself, I'm getting quotes right now for solar. Enphase yeah. was one of the top contenders. Yeah, I want to wait to see. I mean, there's no rush right now to get yeah. it done. So I want to wait to see if there are any other solar incentives because I have a feeling if it goes through, there's probably going to be something else that I want to take into consideration. Higher wait, credits or whatever. Yeah. 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 Are you talking about installing solar or are you just talking about solar stocks? Installing solar. What are you between? Like, what are your options that you're considering? Enphase is what we got so many. Um, Al Alex got like four quotes, but Enphase, four or five quotes, but Enphase was one of the companies that uh, I was very persistent on. What about Tesla? They have an issue with flat roofs, and I've been getting a mixed signal from Tesla. What? Mm. Uh, yeah. Nevada, straight up, when you call the Tesla, so they're like, no, we don't install on flat roofs. Why? And then I I emailed their customer support and they're like, well, it depends on the roof. Can you send us pictures? I emailed them. We went back and forth and then they just ghosted me out wow. of nowhere. They just stopped Great. responding. 
So Kevin. I didn't know that. And then it went online. Some people are claiming that uh, they, in certain locations, flat roofs they don't install on. Other people are saying, well, they could put them at uh, at, a, at a you know incline, and that's. I don't know. I Is don't that because know. they're less efficient when they're not on an incline, where it's just like they're not getting enough energy when it's on a flat roof? That doesn't make any sense. That's got to be what it is, Kevin. I, I don't know. I think the reason is a flat roof has a much shorter life expectancy, uh, which sets up potential future liability for them to have to send contractors out and remove it while you do repairs. Flat roofs uh, usually have a 10-year life expectancy, a good new flat roof uh, in, in a heavy rain area, which I mean, Nevada, you guys don't get. So maybe it'll last longer there. I, I don't know about how the heat will affect it. But uh, yeah, usually 10 years for a flat and 25 to 30 for a comp shingle and 50 for tile. So flat is at that very low end of, of the life expectancy. That's the only thing I can guess because flat roofs, they're easier to work on. They're safer to work on. It's easier to run conduit on them. You don't have to go through the attic. You just run it over the floor. Everything is easier about a flat roof install. In my opinion, sure, maybe you have to put racks down, but big deal. These are standard parts. You pick them up off the shelf, you drill them down into the studs, boom, you set your panel on, you're done. Uh, so I, I don't know. That yeah. seems like uh, I, seems like yeah. Fugazi. I should email them back again because I really wanted to do a Tesla solar panel with the Tesla Powerwall. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to yeah. get one of these yeah. for the aquarium and then one for the house, and then I wanted to make a video oh, on it. One like, Powerwall for the aquarium? I know. <laughs> wow, that's how much it takes? No, it's because uh, he wants it to be on for a month. <laughs> yeah, I, I wow. want there to be, if there's a power outage, I have so much money tied up in this tank. The last thing I'd want to do is anything I buy or have been growing for years. I don't wow. want any of that to, to die. So, Oh, right. I see. So you always have to keep yeah, it on. Live, uh, yeah, when wow. there's live coral in there, there's no way. What are, the risk what are the monthly costs to keeping it always on? Not much. Uh, we'll be we'll we'll see because all the lights are LED. A lot of the a lot of the pumps are running all the time. They don't take a lot. It's really just the lights. Those are LED. Uh, the chiller, if uh, if it gets too hot, we have a, a half a horsepower chiller to cool down the wow. tank. So I don't, that's not gonna be on all the time. Yeah, wow. but that's not gonna be on all the time. But you uh, have a yeah. refrigerator for your fish tank. Yeah, <laughs> you got to keep Wait, it at so seventy nine degrees. Wait, right. Graham, but I saw underneath your fish tank. So there's the glass portion and underneath it, there's all the tanks and it's always open. Is it always open or is there like an enclosure? No, around no, no. It? We're, we're waiting on the cabinetry and the chiller ah. actually is a line that goes outside and the chiller is sitting outside on a, on a cement slab. But mm. I really wanted to get the, solar, the Tesla solar and then make a video on how much Tesla solar saves. And you get a referral. I think it's like 250 bucks per person that signs up with your link to uh to get the solar panel so i wanted to like yeah here here's my link guys here's what i did here's how much money it saves if you want it great i think you get 250 off i get 250 back so you guys I remember when tesla was offering tesla roadsters for referrals who are going to be in the top like two or three referrals there's there's some youtube channel they got two tesla roadsters for Both free ball. Multiple. <laughs> and, and imagine they never make the Tesla Roadster. Right? They're like, no, we're, we're calling it Tesla Roadster X. That name is a different name. Sorry, it doesn't apply anymore. They could, they could very could. well do that. I think people would be very upset. But I, I think right now I have like 140-something Tesla referrals, believe it or not, from, wow. that, uh, from that video. And I have something like 200 and something thousand miles. Or Yeah, yeah something like 200,000 miles of free supercharging left on the so car. So you don't pay at all? No. Wow. Uh, and you still yeah. bought the vault. 
<laughs> I would much rather have listen. I'd much rather pay it and have a have a roadster, because right. now because now they made initially the miles were meant to last forever, and then they put a cat. Now all of a sudden it's twenty twenty three when all of those miles expire. So if I don't drive, oh. so if I don't drive like two hundred thousand miles in two years, they expire. Mm. They're worthless anyway. Oh, that's uh, so you man, know that's, what's it is what it is. It's so weird. Mine has a lifetime free supercharging. My ex. And yep. uh, I get no benefit from referrals because of that. <laughs> so I just know, don't get anything out of it. You get an entry to win a Model Y or a Roadster every single month, which oh, I oh. had yet to see anybody win this. Thing. I think it was just, just something like Yada Bank. No, the person who won the Tesla at Yada Bank, they, they wanted to market that person a lot. The fact that somebody won a Tesla. That was. I a, can't believe. I can't yeah. believe somebody did. That was supposed to be like a once in a ten thousand year event, and it happened. That's insane. No, no, because we have to consider the the amount of tickets that are in circulation. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm counting it after the tickets. Within no, it was within a few years, given the number of tickets and the amount of money on the platform. I think was it was it? within a few oh, years. Wow. Yeah, a couple thousand yeah, years a, or something. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I think went to win. Ten million dollars? Yes, I think that's. Yeah. I think it's a one in three hundred and something million chance. But the right. Tesla, I think, is is one in thirty million. And when you consider how many tickets are out there, it's inevitable that within you know a few years somebody's going to win a Tesla. And and your investment in, in your private equity in Yada, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Is it like after a? Is there an expiration period where you can sell your share no. in the company, or are you locked in, in for a certain period of time? I'm locked or? in. I am locked, locked in. So either either they're going to be sold. It's going to be worthless, or they're going to go public. I think. I think the reality is that it probably. And actually, I don't. I don't want to speak about it because I don't know. But based my my investment is would be locked up for quite some time. And it was a hundred grand? Was it or fifty? Uh, or, I mean, it's, it's in the or, it's, or a million. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's in the, it's it's above a hundred thousand. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Do you guys also have private equity investments? Because I don't. I don't have anything in like anything for a private company uh yeah I, I got a few uh small stuff uh there's one uh that i went a little larger on uh i wanted to get in on stuff like kraken but after yes. coin i'm like i'm just gonna focus on coin <laughs> because uh i think like coin just for for based on the projections i'm making uh, with with zero rev, I mean, to me, this is a five six hundred dollars stock in in five years, uh, and to me, that's a phenomenal return. So I'd rather right now buy something like Coin, and I think private equity, honestly, is is overpriced. Some of it, like I mean, look at look, Coin is a perfect example. There's people are like, I want to get into Coin pre market, pre market, and so all these companies are making like five percent commission selling Coinbase stock pre market. And these people are buying in for 360, 370. You didn't make anything. You right. know? So yeah, I have, a, I have a few small investments, uh, Andre. I own like 2% of Robinhood and like uh, 4%. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a big deal at all. It's, it's not a huge deal. Just, wait, just wait. very small investments. So. <laughs> why why Kraken and not Binance, Kevin? I didn't see Binance shares available, so it's it's always I, I don't know if it was just the the platform I was using, but yeah, uh, I I don't know why. Jeremy, do you actually own any Robinhood? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, you know I 
I don't know what's going to happen with Robinhood when they come out with the crypto wallet. Are people just going to flee the f out of there? Does Robinhood still have a chance? They're they're in the middle of a huge lawsuit right now, right? That oh, they got like twenty lawsuits yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, it, but it's consolidating right now. It's consolidating into one major one. So right now they're they're basically going through all the attorneys, and they're going to have like one lead attorney take the case. Hmm. Yeah, because their their website analytics. Uh, here I'll put them up really quick. They're still going up their website ranking. Uh, now it's flattened a little bit the last week or so here. I don't know if it's because of tax time coming up, but that's that's next month. So what do I know? But uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll put it up really quick. It's crazy because you would have thought that I thought people were just gonna disappear from Robin Hood. Seems like their their usage just keeps going and going here. Okay, so all I have to do is press this button. Yeah, so can you see that? Yeah. Yeah, look, look at this. So here's this is a drama moment. Drama moments right here around the 28th. And then you get this like surge for like the next couple weeks, which in fairness, they did do that that uh, sign up bonus from here yeah. to here. So that but look, I mean, even from the middle of February to April 10th, you still got solid growth in website rank here. And it's only just recently flattened in like the last week and a half here. So I don't know if that downtrend is going to continue, but I mean, that's, this is pretty incredible. Although I have, I feel like investment interest has also been declining a little bit because the market's been a little rough for too long. I don't know. How is Coinbase looking? Is that kind of in line with their uh, stock price as well? Is it kind of been on the downtrend? Like Coinbase.com. Yeah, let's see. Um, hey, by the way, Kevin, you uh, did you say you got some call options in TC, TCF or no? I do. Yeah, I actually you, do have. Uh, you played it well, man. You got in at the right time. Well, I just uh, everything was so crappy. And, and Andre, I'm going to try to pull this up. Everything it didn't to me, it didn't really matter what you bought on April 20th. Everything was so bad. So, mm. so bad. Uh, you really, it didn't matter what you bought. Uh, it's just any kind of options that day were just cheap. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it could have kept going down. Who knows? Maybe over the next few weeks after earnings, it'll all go down. But yeah, no, I mean, that, that one did did well. Uh, and I'll get that Coinbase. Yeah, that Fisker was- Fisker uh, has been suffering a lot. Huh? Fisker. Oh, gosh, man. They got like, I mean, aren't they like 13 bucks now? Yep. You have some, right, Graham? Or no? Yeah, I think I, how much I put in like twenty or thirty grand in in Fisker, and uh, I think my cost my cost basis is now higher than where it is today. I, I think my cost basis is fourteen, fifteen dollars on that. Not bad. That's not so, bad. No, it's still, not terrible. Yeah. I'm gonna hold it. <laughs> it's not, it's not twenty anymore. <laughs> Graham, it's Coinbase. Yeah. I've Graham, never seen in, in any stock out there. So Wait, interesting. Look at that. Wait, hold on. I think we're talking about yeah. a few things here. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, so this, this here's Coinbase. I've, yeah. I've never seen this kind of chart. Now, keep in mind, here's the 14th, which was like uh, around I, IPO was like, I think I'm pretty sure IPO was the 14th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because because Bitcoin hit now, Bitcoin also hit peak on the 14th. So I'm pretty sure IPO was 14. But yeah, this is a very weird, like, I don't know what happened with the data. Well, that was the here. sell off. Okay. Kind of, but not really. All right. Sell off is all right. And then we're back up. Okay. 
Yeah, huh. it's it's a little bizarre, but uh, I mean, look, the traffic uh, website, uh, the website usage. I mean, this is an explosion from December, which makes yeah. sense because crypto pricing has gone nuts. But I mean, you're a website rank of fourteen hundred in December. Now you're at five ninety three. Robinhood is still bigger than than Coinbase on uh, on um, website ranking. So in that sense, Coinbase. You know, do a quick Coinbase. Let's see, Coinbase is a sixty billion dollar company. You know, Robinhood's been selling at sixty bill in the uh, in the uh, private market. Robinhood might be the one that hits that eighty to hundred bill before Coinbase does a solid thing. I could see if, it. Yeah, yeah, so it'd be interesting. So, Graham, you got a million in any stock, or you not? No. Okay. No, no, not in a specific st- in an index, yes, but not in one specific stock, no. Okay, and then Kevin, what million what million dollar positions do you have? Tesla, Enphase, uh, Redfin. I don't. I think my Apple and Google are close. Uh, Etsy, if I didn't mention Etsy. And uh, Apple and Google, uh, no Apple, Apple and Amazon. I'm sorry, those I think are like eight, eight hundred or something like that. So those wow. are, those are pretty close. So, so you um, you have some interesting positions there to have a million dollars plus in Etsy, Redfin, and Enphase. I mean, I feel like those are so random. Like, talk us through those ones a little bit because that's a lot. That's a lot of money to have in in some of those names. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my way of diversifying. It's just really trying to pick the leader in each in each group. So, uh, I mean, Tesla, you got autos, EV, and it's got the energy mix too. Uh, Enphase as as the biggest, uh, the big competitor, and and really the mainstream competitor right now to uh, Tesla's energy and the battery packs. So, uh, uh, Redfin as my top real estate play. Etsy as my top consumers play. Apple, Amazon, Google are a little bit more like my safe plays. So, I don't mind having those. You know, I wouldn't even mind having them be like 10, 15% of the portfolio or, or, or potentially more. I think they might be around there combined. But uh, I, I don't mind that because uh, those to me are just like those stable long winners. But yeah, the, the bigger individual positions are just, just longs that uh, they really, a lot of them grew there. You know, Etsy for me was a, a, a big buying company. I was buying them a lot around 70 bucks. Uh, you know what, like 210 now. Uh, mm-hmm. Buying... Redfin between 10 and 30 was really when I loaded up on Redfin, you know, 65 or whatever now. So I'm not really adding much to those right now because the, you know, both of them kind of like, ah, they're, they're above where I really feel like I want to keep adding to them. I got enough of a position and phase is one. I still am trying to finish building out, but um, yeah, you know. uh, Yeah. Those ones I'm having a little trouble understanding. So, you know, Enphase feels like just another, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, just another solar company. Like if they come to my house, what differentiates them versus the other guys? Redfin feels a little niche. Uh, Why not go with a Zillow? And then Etsy feels like it's a limited stock, kind of like an eBay is almost, you know? And so, yeah. 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 uh, So uh, sort of in reverse order, uh, Etsy to me is uh, what basically uh, where... Etsy is the reason you travel to small towns to find really cool and unique gifts that you mm-hmm. now no longer have to travel for. Uh, and uh, Etsy, I mean, the customization options that you can get working with people directly on Etsy, it's something we've never really had access to. I mean, I feel like back before Etsy, if I'm like, hey, I want to make a custom stool, 
that that looks like a RuneScape mushroom, which is literally something that I did. Uh, for me to do that, it's like, how am I going to find a fabricator locally to do that? Or even a website online to do that? Whereas here you go on Etsy and here you got five different people to pick from. We're going to make you custom stool mushrooms. I don't know why I need a stool mushroom, but I got a stool mushroom, okay? So uh, Etsy's the clear winner in that space. And it's not something Amazon can touch. That's the beautiful thing. Amazon, Amazon's a competitor like the Walmart, the Target, the Best Buy, the GameStop. Don't get, like that's a problem, right? But that you you don't get Etsy stuff on, on Amazon. Uh, then uh, what was the other? Oh, see, so Ed, Enphase is not a solar company. It's as much as it is a um, uh, like when I say solar company, it's not a solar panel company. Solar panels are usually low margin, and uh, you get them so cheaply from China or, ironically, Germany. The Q cell, really, really good. The solar panels, but uh, Enphase is doing the high margin, high quality batteries. Uh, along with uh, inverters, and they use something special called microinverters, which nobody else uses in the industry, or at least that I'm aware of. Uh, and their profit margins are, are insane. I mean, they're taking over 20% to their net on products. It's insane. Their gross profit's like 41% or something like that. It's And, and it keeps going up too, which is crazy. Um, okay, so what do we do? Enphase, Etsy. And, and Red Redfin, Redfin, Redfin. Yeah. So Redfin uh, it started out as my hedge to going bankrupt as a real estate agent. <laughs> uh, see, Redfin is this virus in the real estate space that is uh, that that that's this Trojan horse that attacks the other agents in communities by basically taking their business and undercutting their commissions. Right? Uh, Expi is is sort of a, a little <clears throat> counterattack to that by giving agents more commissions. But anyway, the reason it's different from Zillow is Zillow has always built their brand around working with agents and selling ad spots to agents. Uh, and they used to do shady stuff where they'd like imply that somebody who was advertising uh, was the listing agent of a property. And, uh, it, you know, that that was something that confused a lot of people. The big profit margins for Zillow have always been advertising with agents. But if Redfin wins uh, or EXPI wins, I think a lot of the need for advertising on Zillow potentially reduces, maybe not so much with EXPI, but certainly with Redfin. So I think Redfin's this virus that's that's stealing from real estate agents and it's stealing from Zillow. And it's almost spreading so well, uh, I, I, this is a negative word, but it's almost spreading like a cancer through the real estate community. Uh, it, and uh, it's becoming something, especially millennials love using. Millennials love using one app to get their loan, their title insurance, their their real estate agent. You know, they don't want to be sold. They want to save on commissions. That's Redfin. Redfin is the, the millennial real estate destination. You know, EXPI is just a way for the leftover real estate agents to, to grind out a little more profit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. Man. Was, Redfin, was Redfin the one that offered, because I remember shopping on Redfin when I was buying my house and I was seeing some real Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. It was like, get up to $3,000 cash back using one of our agents. And I was like, well, that's, well, that's, that's their pitch is basically for the agent you're getting a commission that otherwise you wouldn't have gotten. But the catch right. is that, okay, you're going to give half of it back to the buyer so that now the buyer gets an incentive for going with Redfin. And most buyers out there, they and it's it's auto-calculated. It's like, you will save $8,000 going with one of our Redfin agents. And most buyers see that. Well, whoa, I save $8,000. Okay. 
with with no credentials whatsoever. And a lot of a lot of buyers will overlook the experience of the agent because they oh I can save you know six thousand dollars, but who knows who they're going to be working with? And I remember Kevin uh, because we used to advertise on Zillow back in <laughs> this, this was like two thousand fourteen, I believe is. I think, yeah, Jason Oppenheim spent, I think it was like $100,000 that first year uh, advertising on Zillow as an experiment to see what would happen. And we were the number one agents in West Hollywood for, for the zip code. And we would get so many calls from people. Hey, I want to see the, uh, you know, I, I'm calling about this property listed. Uh, you're, you're not the listing agent. What? No, I thought it was called. Could you, can you put me in touch with the listing agent? And then you're sitting there. Of, of course, you stop what you're doing, you go and look up the, and you're like, okay, the listing agency, and you're just basically, you were just an operator. You were right. an operator for whoever's calling to give them the info for the listing agent. And I've had it so many times where, like, you, I, I've gone to a showing, and they're so confused. I thought you were the listing agent. No, 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 I'm on, I'm on, you know, in your side. Well, no, I already have an agent. I'm using my brother's cousin's friend right. to represent right. me. Like, right. Well, because it was so confusing. It was a it was That's terrible. Interesting. But huh. at the end of the day, yeah. isn't it just better that you're you're having contact with people that are in the real estate market? Like, wouldn't it still be a net benefit or no. not? Really? No, waste waste time. That's why you have to be very uh upfront. And I learned very quickly with within about a month that you have to say, We're not the listing agent. Are you working with an agent? How did you find about this listing? You have to be really sure that the person who's calling does not have an agent and that they want to work with you. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. I mean, just imagine between a phone call, scheduling showings, showing up. I mean, you could be an hour to and from an appointment. That makes sense. Hey, Andre, how are you on your journey to a million dollars in Bitcoin? How's that going? Ooh. I'm a gosh, I last time I checked on Blockfolio, let's see, I'm probably at around nine, 900K. Ooh, almost there, almost there, almost oh, there. Nice. Are you got, are you got to have a video plan for the day you hit a million in Bitcoin, right? I should. That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you should. I that's just a became good a millionaire. Yeah. I'm a Bitcoin millionaire. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that's actually, yeah, it's just one of those things you take for granted, but that, that is pretty crazy. Yeah. Even though technically I wouldn't be a Bitcoin millionaire because I, I have a ton of Ethereum, which, by the way, I think is going to do way better in the next few years. Ooh. Yeah. What's stopping you from, you know, let's say buying, uh, I don't know, Ethereum or Bitcoin super heavy right now? Do you feel like there's going to be a pullback short term or what? Uh, it's the- so tempting to. It's so tempting wow. to just keep most Guys. of my money in Bitcoin. What's up? Did you see Ethereum? Yep. Holy yep. Crap. yep. Yep. Wow. It's taking off, man. It's taking off. It's I, crazy. I got lucky. I bought a big chunk around 2100 just when, when it dipped recently. Uh, yeah. I haven't checked it. Why is it going up so much? What's there's there's what's the reason behind 20? Uh, there, getting, there, was, there was an upgrade. There was a big upgrade to the network. Oh, People are excited. Yeah. 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 Um, but what was the question? Um, oh no, like, well, why aren't you buying super heavy right now? Do you feel like there's going to be a pullback or what are you, what are you thinking? Ah, oh, gosh, that's a great question. I don't know what's stopping me from putting like 90% of my cash into that. I don't oh my know. Gosh. Yeah, that sounds crazy, but it's, it's honestly not as crazy as it seems. I guess. Yeah. How much, how much yeah. leverage is in the crypto market? Cause I, that's I don't a great question. That's, yeah. that's a question we all need to know the answer to. And I don't think anybody does. 
Uh, okay. I mean, does anybody? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. How, how leveraged we are or how over leveraged we are. That's what I'm trying uh, to figure I out. imagine not not a lot, right? Because I think the crypto markets require people to over collateralize right now. I don't, right? I'm not well, any. I don't know. I, I've heard about people like, and I don't know if it's true, but like buying, you know, going all in with credit cards and stuff like that. So that that's where I'm trying to think like, the fees, you know. the fees mm. on that are insane for credit cards. Yeah, mm. yeah, but I mean, credit cards is not like what was it margin? Technically, I mean, it's not like we're not well, leveraging ourselves with credit cards too much. It's kind of like investing with debt, or you take out I don't know a HELOC or whatever, and, and you you know put that in Bitcoin, and you 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 know you refine it. I don't know, just like thinking about it from any debt perspective. And just sticking it in Bitcoin or Ethereum. That that's what I wonder. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't think there's any measure that we could I mean, I don't know, unless Kevin knows a measure or a metric that we could look at that would tell us that. I'm not aware of one. Mm. Um, but that would be By great. The way, did you guys see the when the market collapses? <laughs> did you guys see that BlockFi is lowering the, the rates rate? are so yeah. bad now? It's an average of I think two percent across uh, the board now. You know what's funny? As soon as they opened up the uh, the referral program, yeah, as soon as they did within months, yes, all the rates dropped. They just yeah. they got so many users on the site with the higher interest rates, and uh, yeah, I mean it was yeah. inevitable. And when everyone's looking at that and be like, "Wait a second, this is we're getting six percent on Bitcoin, seven yeah. percent on Ethereum. Why wouldn't I do this?" So yeah, hey, but now honestly, I'm pissed because yeah. I. I did a video going, hey, uh, look, I mean, it's because uh, I did the price comparison between Robinhood and Gemini and, and, and BlockFi. I'm like, well, you buy it on BlockFi, like it's it's more expensive than Robinhood, but you get that money back in three to six month with, months with the interest or something like that. Well, now it's going to take like a year or two to make the money back that you just paid an extra. So honestly... I'm a little pissed. I feel so. A so here's here's my kind of an interesting theory, Kevin. Uh, does does um so the centralized finance, CFI companies like BlockFi, Coinbase, Gemini, they're offering interest rates, right? Yeah. So in the future, once everything stabilizes and interest rates lower and they drop to two percent, does that push people to go to the DeFi platforms and get their seven or eight percent? I mean, I think that's always going to be the case is that people are always going to chase these. Oh, I'm going to get paid that much interest. Uh, you know, personally, like if I were running a company, I feel like that's the most dangerous kind of customer to get as, as like a long-term customer. Cause you're just constantly a race to the, to, to, you know, uh, against who can pay the higher interest and your loyalty has got to be like zero. Uh, I, I think it's toxic. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, well, well, I, the, the question is from a perspective of how does that affect stocks like Coinbase in the future? If, mm. if in the future we get these really simplified interfaces where it's like, why would I keep my money in BlockFi when I could just transfer it over to this DeFi platform and get my 9% yeah. and then be a liquidity provider? Like, why not? That's, wow. that's my, that's my only caveat to Coinbase. That's what scares me, but I don't have know. You guys, have you guys seen how many Coinbase ads are all of a sudden everywhere? Oh, like the last yeah. few weeks? <laughs> well, they're spending a ton more in ads, right? Dude, Damn. Yeah, right now, the, I think one of the number one advertisers on my channel, it seems like every time I watch my, my own channel, it's Coinbase yeah. coming up. Dude, Coinbase. So, wow. Kevin, and they're coming up in weird spots. Even I go on like uh, my Yahoo Mail, I see like, a, you know, a Coinbase ad. It's, it's everywhere. 
they they want to make sure that first quarter they hit as a public company is stellar. They want to make sure they put up some crazy epic numbers because no one wants to put up that first number as a public company and it's a dud and people are like, mm. oh, there's hardly any new users and things like that. And they've been running with the pitch. I don't know if you guys have seen the pitch. They're running with this pitch of you watch tutorial videos on crypto and you you make money off that essentially. They'll pay you for watching mm. tutorial videos on cryptos. Pitch. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have been watching the pitch. That's I have the not seen that. Right. Oh. Yeah, I, I skip the ads. I should actually watch them. Oh, skipping ads, huh, Grant? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I have sinned, yeah. Hey, we're about to hit 10,000 live viewers, and I don't know if we've ever done that before. So everybody yes. needs to share this with their parents and their brothers and their sisters. Oh, we just hit it, 10,000. Good job, go. guys. By the way, guys. While we're at 10K, we got to subscribe. Like like we said, Jer Jeremy, you got to buy cryptocurrency now. We had 100,000. So the next milestone right now, we got to get to 150. So guys, oh. if you wouldn't mind destroying the subscribe button, it's totally hey. free. It helps us out a ton. Just do it really quick before you forget. That's it. Since, That's all you got to do. Since we hit 100K today, I'm going to tell everybody a secret. Okay? I got a secret. And, 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 and Andre's not here to hear my secret, and it's crypto-related, man. Mm -hmm. So listen, I've been buying a lot of VGX, and it keeps going down, and I feel like an idiot. And I feel like I'm either going to be really smart for doing this or really dumb. But right now, I That's feel really the, dumb. The token, right? Yeah, the Voyager token, man. I keep I buying know. that thing. It pays like a 7% interest, and it just keeps mm -hmm. going down, I swear. It goes down by 7%. Yeah, That's exactly. a gotcha. <laughs> That would be genius. Like, hey, I'm paying you 20%, but every year it's worth 20% less. Yeah. Andre, uh, did you hear my secret or no? What was your secret? So I just revealed a secret since we hit 100K subs. I've been buying a lot of VGX, and I feel really dumb because all it does is it keeps going down, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it just – and here I am. I bought Ethereum too, Okay. And okay. I put only a little bit of money in Ethereum, like 5,000 or so. And it's okay. done nothing but just go up in a straight line almost. And then this VGX, I put like at least 10x the amount of money in it. And it just keeps going down. And I'm like, when is this VGX thing going to go up? Do do what all the other cryptos do. I'm going to poke it, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you saw that meme, right? Where it's like the, the thing with the stick and it's like, do something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you something. Do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so are, are we... Gonna force Jeremy to finally put in a hundred grand into Bitcoin yes. and Ethereum, or? dude. A hundred. That was the original promise, wasn't it? It was a hundred. That's no. I, was first it? off, I never agreed to this this promise. Okay. <laughs> Second, it started as like ten thousand dollars, and then Graham took it to a hundred, then took it to a million. Okay. And then, All mean, right, fair. So let's do ten. So let's say hypothetically, Jeremy has ten thousand dollars to to invest. How much are you putting into each one? Like, what's your game plan? Um, well, if I'm forced to buy Bitcoin, I'll buy Bitcoin. Okay, that's fine. But as Just far as grand? yeah, or, I'm fine okay. with putting in Bitcoin. Uh, but what I will say is, I keep buying this VGX thing, man. I feel so dumb because <laughs> somebody saved me. VGX. I don't understand. What's the appeal there? So it's supposed to be like the Voyager token. So you know, assuming Voyager continues to grow and get much bigger, um, they're supposed to have this awesome rewards program which essentially in order to use this awesome rewards program you need voyager tokens and right. so we're talking about you could get i don't know cash back or you know 
different products and services a company comes out with over time. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you kind of got to be a really big believer in Voyager. I feel like the company for that to succeed over time. I Um, would personally be very careful with buying like niche brokerages in the crypto space. And I would only stick to the super big brand name ones like Coinbase, maybe Gemini, Gemini definitely. So those are just the only two I would consider because the way that crypto evolves is so fast that and 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 like kevin said like the loyalty is not really there like if 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 you don't have that user base that like really loves your company they're just going to switch to whoever pays a higher interest rate and in the future near future i would say we're going to have these DeFi platforms where like i don't know what place a voyager would have like what differentiating factor would they have over a DeFi platform that gives people a ton of money um, Coinbase, on the other hand, I could see people say, well, should I get 9% or do I just go with the safe 2% with a company that I know has a good track record that's stable, that's easy to use? I could see people going with Coinbase for that reason. But then you get the smaller brokerages and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, I would rather either go with Coinbase or this DeFi one that's paying me 9%. So like, that's, that's the thing I would say to you is like, I, w- I would not buy the smaller ones. Okay. No, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The other thing is like, you know, what happens with fees long-term, you know, right now, a lot of these brokerages are making money hand over fist with these, these fees. And I do like, my main worry is like, what if the fees go down substantially over time and it becomes like, you know, much more competitive there. What if it becomes like almost free kind of like these trades are the only way fees go down. I don't, I actually don't ever see crypto in the near future become feeless because the only time fees would drop is if we get a like a crypto bear market like winter market that's that's when people stop they leave crypto and once the networks become decongested in other words people start using crypto less then remember the block sizes that they open up to more transactions which means fees drop that's a scenario where brokerages can lower their fees but Fees will always be high. They'll need to be high. And brokerages will never front those fees because they get ridiculously expensive, especially for coins like uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum when everybody's using them. Uh, it's the same reason why brokerages like Robinhood and Webull don't allow international trading for free. The fees are just too high. And if you compare those international fees to crypto fees, crypto fees are way higher. So, you know, brokerages like Robinhood still haven't even enabled UK trading or trade trading in Australia or whatever it is. It's they haven't opened up those markets and those are huge markets they're missing out on. They are not about the front fees for for crypto. It's just too expensive. Interesting. Okay, okay. I don't think we'll ever see them fronting, but but I mean, like the spread that BlockFi is charging for Bitcoin. Who out of their right mind is going to go on BlockFi right now and buy Bitcoin when they're paying you 0.7% on Bitcoin? It's like, come on. So you're going to charge me an arm and a leg over spot and you're only giving me 0.7%. I'm a little pissed. I, I don't know. I, I, no, I think I, this I'm is two rage up things. Slap yeah, face. I, I agree. I think, Jeremy, to your point, the only way I could see crypto broker just making it free is if they like masked it and people just didn't, I don't know, they just missed it. And they were just rolling it into the price of what, you know, what they show on the brokerage. Like mm-hmm. they were just rolling it into the price and they were like, it's free. It's like, well, no, it's not really. You're charging us, yeah. you know, a premium on, on what we're buying. So, um, okay. Hey, hey, let's, let's answer some questions. 
Yeah, we need Q and A. Q and A. Q and A. Q and A. We 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 need better questions than last week. Our our questions last week were disappointing. I expect you guys to step up with some good <laughs> ones this week. Okay. <laughs> Come on, we need good yeah. ones. And don't forget to smash. If you didn't get to smash already, make sure you smash. Oh, you want me to read it, Kevin, or you want to read it? I don't want to read it. Oh, I don't want to read it either. Graham, you can read it. You're good. All right. Q, my GF and I, 25 yo min, are renting for uh, renting for seven seven and a half percent of our combined salary. It's really good. We have lots in stock and crypto. We want to get into our estate, but we don't want to move and housing market is a mess. Do we wait it out? Hmm. Um, I think it really depends. Listen, renting for seven and a half percent of your salary, I think is fantastic. Unless you're making like, a million dollars a year and like, you know, spending 15 grand a month in rent or something like that. But that sounds actually really reasonable to me. What I would say is you might be inclined to stay where you are unless you find a really good deal in real estate that you could see yourself living in for the next 10 years, then that might make sense. Or potentially in a house hacking situation where you could buy a place, rent out some of it, have that cover your cost of living. But I wouldn't be in a rush to move if you're if you're renting for seven and a half of combined salary. That, that's fantastic. And plus, I, yeah, plus I think if you, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Kevin? You know what? The yeah. problem is it depends. Like they could be renting a basement from their mom for a hundred dollars, uh, you know, and, and lots of stocks in crypto could be 20 grand. So, you know, if, if we put it into context and, and, uh, you know, they're renting a basement and they got 20 grand in stocks and crypto, well, they should take that 20 grand and go buy real estate, take control, go, I don't know if you're close to the capital, you know, St. Paul or whatever, uh, go buy something in Minnesota that, uh, that's going to go make you some money, go, go get something that's going to go balloon your wealth from 20 grand to 80 to a hundred grand, whatever. Uh, that's, that's how you're going to blow up your wealth. Now, if you've got lots in stocks and crypto and you, that lots is like a million dollars, well, then maybe, then maybe keep renting, you know? So I think there's more context we need there. Maybe fill us in hive mind, Craig. There's, yeah. uh, I'll go, so I'll go with rapid fire on some of these. Somebody says, how long does it yes. usually take for stocks to recover after an earnings sell off? The answer is it's a case by case basis. Some stocks never recover. Some stocks recover within a few days or a few weeks. Um, there's a question that says, Andre, what's your price targets for Bitcoin and Ethereum for this cycle? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I'm going to throw a guess. I'm going to say, gosh, assuming we haven't hit the uh, exponential curve yet, I want to say uh, between 100 to 200 grand. I know that's a huge like gray area, but I think we'll hit six figures if we if we haven't hit this exponential curve yet, which I don't think we have yet this year. I think there'll be some other catalyst. I think maybe an ETF. Hopefully we don't get regulated out of it, the market, but if we don't, I think we'll we'll hit 100 and I could see us going to two. Um, but remember the, these exponential curves, once we get on them, they last between five to 15 days. It's like this constant and, it, and it's rapid. It happens so fast. And if you see that, that spike, that's when you want to be selling off on that on that ex exponential curve. Yeah, I, I don't want to take anyway, up. Too, I don't want to take up. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I don't want to take up too much time, but I just it's interesting when I hear you talk, Andre, because you you talk about you know what's happened historically, but I almost feel like maybe 
like a lot of these historical norms could be thrown out the window moving forward. And it's kind yeah. of like stock market, like like a lot of times we're like, well, this usually happens. And then something like, you know, we should still be in a, a pretty bad stock market place. And yet the stock market came back to all time highs within like, what, six, nine months after the pandemic. And it's just like, no one would have said that would have happened, right? But yeah, um, I, I agree, I 100% I agree. But I've seen people say this three cycles ago in crypto. People are like, the next one is not going to be the same. We're not going to. And every single cycle has been a repeat 100% of the time. And I've seen articles in 2017 say the same thing. Like, even in 2017, when we were going to 20K, they were like, Bitcoin's never going below 10 ever again. And of course, <laughs> we did. Uh, and I think the same thing's going to happen again. The whales are going to manipulate the price just as they've always done. They've become exponentially wealthier this cycle. And they're smart. They are smart money. They're going to scare the shit up, people. Sorry for that. Okay. <laughs> I hope you don't get demonetized. But. Here, here's one for Graham. Does Graham have OCD? Not that I'm aware of. No. I, was, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be super. There's a few things that I'm, I, I would say I'm superstitious. But, yeah, okay. uh, but no. Hey, here's one for Kevin. It says, um, is Amazon splitting? And if Amazon is splitting, should we load the boat before it splits? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, this Amazon split rumor has been around for years, man. This is just like, it's, it always pops up. I don't know. I mean, sure. You know, you look at the uh, the bumps that we had with Apple and, Am uh, Apple and Tesla after the split. Even though it seems like these companies, they should nothing should change with a split. They still perform well after the splits. They still uh, they still hit new highs. It's crazy, uh, and they maintain some of these highs. You know, maybe not the ultimate highs, but they still maintain those highs. So the splits were great for Apple and Tesla. Uh, you know, I imagine we would see some kind of crazy run up on on uh, Amazon. I think it's a trader opportunity. You hear split. You buy that, you buy the crap out of Amazon the day it's announced and you sell it a week before the split. <laughs> if you're going to okay. trade it, I don't know, something like that. Mm. Hey, who, who wants to take this question? Okay. This is this <laughs> one of you guys will have fun with this one. Should I borrow against my 401k to buy more Bitcoin or just cash it all out? It would make me a full-time Bitcoiner. Oh my gosh. My parents cashed out their 401ks because they thought the market was going to collapse. And I was like, no, don't do that. Just leave it in there. And they did anyway. And I don't know what they did with that money, but they just, yeah, they just held on to it. But I would not recommend exiting your 401ks. Okay. That's just, me. but, but Kevin's a risk taker. He might be like, yeah, all in leverage margin. Uh, well, I mean, it's one thing if you're gonna take a loan against it, like if you like uh, if you sell and liquidate. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't like that. I, yeah, that's stay stay yeah. in the market if you can. You know, yeah. I uh, uh, there are some things that I sold in, in the last batch that I did on on four twenty that that I really you know wanted to hold longer. But uh, I think there are certain circumstances uh, where selling makes sense. Like the no margin's been great. I've got a tax bill coming up, so I'm ready for that too. Uh, but otherwise, stay in the market is is always my thing. And and loans, you know, it depends on the terms. You know, sometimes you can pay them back within what two or three years. Uh, the loans against yourself. So I, you know, it depends. <laughs> Let's do one last question here, and then we'll wrap up. It, it's directed toward Andre. It says, uh, I have a question for Andre. <laughs> Why are you not investing in other altcoins in the top twenty? There's a lot of great tech there. What's stopping you? 
<coughs> wow, it's like swallowing water wrong. <clears throat> Can somebody else take this while I recover for? <laughs> <laughs> None of you, you guys aren't investing in anything other than Bitcoin and Ethereum if you have any money in cryptos, right? No, not. No, nothing. Okay. Yeah, I, I have invested, just not heavily, and I don't promote it and not, not talk about it because I think the crypto space is perceived to be so scammy and sketchy. So I don't like to talk about some of the smaller cap stuff just because people automatically think like, like people are already leaving me comments like, oh, you're such a Dogecoin shell. And it's like, I don't have a single Dogecoin. I just cover it sometimes in my videos, yep. but I don't, I don't own anything. And so um, there's that aspect of it. But outside of that, I own, and I'll tell you exactly what I own. I own Bitcoin, I own Ethereum, I own Bitcoin Cash, which is a, is a really good one that I really like. I coincidentally own BSV, which is Bitcoin uh, Satoshi, I believe. Uh, that was a split from BCH. And then XRP, which is Ripple. So I own Ripple, I, I own IOTA. I've had IOTA since 2017. I have like one Litecoin. I have Bitcoin Gold, which is from the split. I own Dash. I own NEO. I own a ton of altcoins. I don't talk about them because I don't want people to misperceive it and because they're kind of gambles. And I, I would never promote that kind of investing. I don't promote like, like gambling and investing. And I, and I think altcoins is basically gambling at this point. Um, crypto in general is a risky investment. So to go with altcoins, it's like you're basically playing the lottery ticket, which I, I just don't want anybody to do that. Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Take it. Take us home, Graham. This has been fun, cool. man. So before you before you leave, guys, just make sure to go to that subscribe button. Subscribe because Jeremy says he's going to be buying ten million. I'm kidding. Totally free. We only do one of these videos every single week. So if you want to be a part of it, it's totally free to do. Just, just subscribe, hit the notification bell every single Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Make sure to hit the like button if you're already subscribed because that helps us with the YouTube algorithm. And uh, I think that's it. So thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. 100K. Yes. We did it, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. We did it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great one, guys. Bye.